O love that will not let me go. What a great song. And what a great truth, actually. Written by George uh, Matheson, the great uh, Scottish preacher who, when he was um, dating his fiancée, found out he was going to go blind. So he told his fiancée he didn't want to marry her or she didn't want to marry him because he was going to be blind. And uh, so he moved in with his his sister moved in with him. He memorized the scriptures, memorized the Bible, was still a very effective pastor, minister, but his uh, sister then got engaged to be married and he was left alone again. And that's when he wrote the song, Oh Love That Will Not Let Me Go. Other loves might let me go, but God will never let me go. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you that we can spend a few moments again in your word today. We ask your Holy Spirit to be with us, to speak your truth to us individually and collectively, to send your spirit to us in Christ's name. Amen. All right, well, we've been on a little journey, and we've been looking uh, every session that I've been involved in. I've been trying to look at a chapter that then can be operationalized for uh, witness. We looked at Psalm 77. We looked at Psalm 126. We looked at, what else did we look at? Um, we looked at the 2300-day prophecy. So Daniel 8 and 9, uh, operationalized for witness. And then uh, this morning we looked at the Ten Commandments and saw how they actually... Um, are a great witnessing tool as well. Today, I thought I would look, however, at Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14. And Revelation chapter 14, of course, is leading up to the second coming. Three final messages before Christ comes again. And it says in Revelation 14, thrust in your sickle and reap for the time of the harvest has come. And so this idea that there will be a reaping, that Christ will come and a second coming. And our job is to not only be prepared, but prepare others to be ready for that second coming. And the messages leading up to that second coming are found in Revelation 14, 6, and 7. And I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to them that dwell on the earth, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him. Oh, wait, to every nation, kindred, tribe, tongue, and people. Sign with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and the fountains of living water. And then a second angel followed, saying, Babylon has fallen, has fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And then that third angel following on is talking about the beast and its image, whoever receives that. And then the picture of a group of people that are, in fact, faithful. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they. They keep the commandments and have the faith of Jesus. This essentially is people that are filled with the Holy Spirit, right? 
because they have the faith of Jesus and faithfulness is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Then coming from faithfulness is also obedience, it says in Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 16, the obedience of faith in the context of patient endurance. Here is the patience of the saints. Again, a fruit of the Spirit. So these people at the end of time are actually filled with the Holy Spirit. How many of you want to be in that picture? And these messages then are of vital importance. And I've been studying, I'm actually writing a little book which is not done. And, and you know, uh, Whenever you do a message, you're going, this, the message is not done either. So, uh, but I'm writing a little book on looking at the three angels' messages through the lens of health. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. And then notice, then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, saith the Spirit that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. I'm going to deal with these two verses today in the third angel's message and um, the first several messages. I actually had it all in one presentation, but we would have been here to supper time instead of lunch to look at uh, the first part of the message. Um, interesting book by Dr. Dom Stieck. Uh, a longtime professor and historian and Adventist uh, development, the historical development of Adventist doctrine, had this to say. A basic principle in health reform indicated that transgression of the laws of the human organism was a moral issue, and thus sinful, so that transgression of these laws could be considered as transgression of God's law, the Decalogue. So as early Adventists after the great disappointment, began to study again because they had been kicked out of all the churches. They then started to connect this three angels' messages and this particular message with other areas that God wanted to deal with in their lives, and one of them was the area of health. It was at this point that the integration of health reform into the third angel's message took place because its central theme summoned the observance of God's commandment or God's commandments, and of course one of those is what? Thou shalt not kill. Therefore health reform, by calling people to obedience to the laws of nature, supported obedience to God's commandments, an object similar to the mission of the third angel's message. So that's Domstik, um in looking at the historical development of what we know as the Adventist church. Now, before I get too far in this, I think Revelation 14 is a great passage to use in witnessing to people because it is a passage that has been inhabited and had been talked about by the Advent movement ever since its inception. Well, maybe not as much recently, but ever since its inception. And it is part and parcel of the movement, even though you may not recognize what the sign says at the church. You're, have you ever been to a church where you looked at the sign and you go, man, if I was a, someone that didn't know what that meant, I'd think it's three bugs. No, nobody besides me? I'm like, that, how do you even know that's an angel? Especially these ones which were in the 70s. You know, he's like this. 
You don't know what that thing is. But anyway, the three angels' messages, or at my church, I remember they were, my church was called the Three Angels Church, and it had three angels on the front. But when they were putting the sign up, a little fifth grader ran out, Pastor Don, Pastor Don, it says three angles. And I looked out there, and sure enough, it was three angles. And I was like, thank you so much. I'm so glad that that phonetics class and everything's working. Um, saved us a lot of money. Now, here's what Ella White says, that uh, early uh, prophetess or received her first vision in 1844, actually, right in the great disappointment. She was part of the appointment. This is what it says. In a special sense, Seventh-day Adventists have been set in the world as watchmen and light bearers. To them has been entrusted the last warning to a perishing world. And a warning is not a threatening, it's a warning. It's a message of love, in other words. They have been given a work of most solemn import, the proclamation of the first, second, and third angel's messages. There is no other work of so great importance. They are to allow nothing else to absorb their attention. Which means I probably should have preached about this all weekend. But I was, it was kind of related to it, what I was doing, right? So here's another one. Now, how is this tied with the messages of health? One important part of there, that is the minister's work, is to faithfully present to the people the health reform as it stands connected with the third angel's message as part and parcel of the same work. This is why I thought we needed a little book written on this. I've looked at all the books written on the three angels' messages, and there's not one written about this. So that's why I'm writing. Well, there might be. I mean, I, I haven't done a, you know, a literature review of every book ever, .com, .org, .net, .gov, but uh, this was my impression. And the health reform is part of the third angels' message and is just as closely connected with this message as the arm and hand with the human body. So health reform is to stand out more prominently in the proclamation of the third angel's message. The gospel of health is to be firmly linked with the ministry of the word. That's what we're trying to do today. It is God's design that the restoring influence of health reform shall be part of the last great effort to proclaim the gospel message, part of the everlasting gospel. How do you like the idea of God's spell, the gospel? The whole world is under the spell of the, of the evil one, it says in 1 John chapter 5, but we are to be under God's spell, the gospel. Amen? Look at that person next to you and see if they look like they're under the spell. Um, the gospel. That's the idea. Now, I found I was just studying each word, you know, as I'm studying the passage, looking up every single word, trying to use all my small arsenal of tools that God has given me intellectually, very small, but in, increased by Macintosh computers. <laughs> um, and I, I looked up the word gospel, and what a great feast it was. Oh, man. Notice this, gospel, galleon. it means news that makes one happy. Someone in our panel discussion says that people that are Christians should be happy, not snappy, right? Happy. Secondly, information that causes one joy. 
The joy of the Lord is our strength. Amen. And words that bring smiles. So <laughs> if what you're doing is not bringing joy and smiles and making people happy, it's probably not the gospel. Right? And a message that causes the heart to be sweet. I don't know what that means to a diabetic, but... <laughs> Okay, fine. It's a health sermon, folks. So I can use some health illustrations like that. Okay. So really, the gospel is to be good news. And you know, one of the things I love doing, I, I work 80 years, 80 years. A day equals a year, right? I, 80 days a year, a year doing mental health counseling. There is nothing better than seeing people come out of their crisis of depression and anxiety. There's nothing better than that. I mean, you wouldn't have to pay me at all to do that. There is nothing better. I used to work, you know, a trauma nurse. There's nothing better than seeing people come out of a crisis, a health crisis. No one's going to say amen to that. Have you ever been in a health crisis? Um, there's nothing better than that. When you see smiles come back to people and their lives. We see people who come in, they're essentially just totally <laughs> um, Devastated. Sometimes there's, you know, there's many causes for depression and anxiety, but um, many times they have spiritual things that are related. And to see the power of God's word <laughs> is just, I mean, I remember I was a little kid listening to Mark Fenley preach one day. I was nine years old and he was like 16 or something. Uh, no, he was a little older than that. And I just said to my mother, how does he have so much energy? And my mother says, well, you see that cord that he's carrying around? He's plugged in. <laughs> and he said he was preaching that day, and he goes, you know what? There's nothing better than seeing someone give their life to Jesus. And I was like, man, that guy doesn't get out much. He hasn't played with my Lego set. He hasn't. But then I realized later on what he was saying was true. Nothing like that. So let's look at the first angel's message just in review. I kind of apologize because I want to focus on this aspect of the third angel's message, but I haven't preached a sermon to you on the first or second angel's message. So I'm going to go rapidly through this, and maybe I shouldn't, but bear with me. The first angel's message, you know, I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven having the everlasting gospel. First of all, it's a message from heaven, and it literally means straight up. I was in Chicago not so long ago, and I wanted to see what people would do if I just looked up. So I stood on the corner, and I went, and then I started going, wow, wow. Then I pointed. Pretty soon there was a bunch of people around and they were looking at us. I said, what do you see? I said, you don't see it? They all said, no, we, we don't see anything. And then one lady said, 
I see it. And I said, what do you see? <laughs> when you look up, it leads other people to look up. Amen. And this message is coming from straight above. It's a gospel message. It's everlasting gospel. I mean, he says, it's always been there. Hebrews 4.2 talks about how they had the gospel preached to them, as did we. It's an everlasting good news gospel message saying, fear God and give glory to him to fear God. My favorite text on fear, and by the way, fear is something you can learn, but it's Proverbs 19, 23. The fear of the Lord leads to life, and he who has it will abide in satisfaction. He will not be visited with evil. Can you say Amen. Let's say that text together. The fear of the Lord leads to what? Life. And he who has it will what? Abide in satisfaction. How would you like to abide in satisfaction? Where do you live? I live in satisfaction. Too bad Mick Jagger didn't learn that. I abide in satisfaction. He will not be visited with evil. And fear essentially means, as you study it through, trust. Trust. When we fear God, that means we trust God. Obedience is the fruit of faith. And then we give him glory. Last night we looked at that in our message on the 2300 days as a paradigm for witness. And we looked at Leviticus 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15, and we saw that chiastically heading towards the center, not only of that book, but of the Pentateuch itself, is this journey through health, clean meat, clean drink, clean houses, clean homes, clean practices of sexuality, all moving to uh, the day of atonement, the day of glory. And Paul summarizes in 1 Corinthians 10:31 whatever you eat whatever you drink whatever you do do all to the glory of God there could be no more apt summary of the first 5 books of the bible and their message of health which largely is missed in most churches and even ours sometimes where they talk just about the soteriological aspects unrelated to health and that's why the Advent movement has been raised up to bring the gospel in all of its beauty to bring physical health, mental health, emotional health, social health, spiritual health, like we studied last night, amen? Fear God, give him glory for the hour of his judgment, and worship the creator and be nafas. Uh, in other words, be refreshed is the word. It says that, that uh, God rested and was nafas. He was refreshed on the Sabbath day. Now, I, I, I really should preach a whole message to you on the Sabbath as it relates to health. But let me just summarize they have discovered that those who keep the Sabbath have greater marital intimacy that's positive. How many of you, don't raise your hand, would like to have greater marital intimacy? Some of you are at least smiling. Better religious coping, greater religious support, healthier diet, more frequent exercise, less these are all scientific studies, less obesity, less depression, less anxiety, less burnout, deeper connections with others. 
How many think that sounds good? How many want to have some nephash? Hello? Can you say nephash? Look at the person next to you and say, nephash, nephash. That means <laughs> be refreshed, soul. <laughs> So worship the Creator and be refreshed. This is what happens with the Sabbath, and this is why we proclaim the Sabbath more fully, because there's a blessing in it that is not in any other day. Amen? Assembling together, those who attended church are physically healthier or less depressed. The aspect of community was a significant factor in these Findings, community is a significant factor. Those who stayed home and prayed or watched TV, we love you online, but you should be here. Where the carcasses, there where the eagles be gathered, you should be here with the rest of our carcasses. Well, I guess we're not carcasses, but those who stay home and pray or watch TV evangelists were worse off than those who attended church People who go to church have networks of people who care about and support them. This concept ties in with Sabbath aspect of community, said one scientific researcher. So forsake not the assembling together as is the manner of some, but so much more as you see the day approaching. Oh, by the way, there's a direct scientific base connection between Sabbath keeping and longer life expectancy. There is no health benefit from merely talking or thinking about the Sabbath. The only benefit, said the researchers, is doing the Sabbath. How many of you want to do the Sabbath? Hello? Doing the Sabbath. The least healthy people are those religious people who have little practical commitment to actually living out their religious convictions. In the long run, this is all from a scientific report, it is the people who are committed to living out their religious convictions who live the longest. Blessed are they who do his commandments that they may have right to the tree of life and enter into the gates into the city. Now, I understand it's not you doing it. It's God doing it in you. The righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled in you who walk not according to the flesh, but in the spirit. Isn't the idea of being filled with the spirit part of this? Okay, that was a little excursive. You see what I mean? I'm getting bogged down here on the first angel's message, but isn't it a beautiful message? But let's show the connection here with the, with the first angel's message and the third angel's message. You remember it. Here is the patience of the saints. Here keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. That's that Holy Spirit endued person who has the faith of Jesus, which is a fruit of the Spirit, that lives out that obedience to the faith, Romans 1, 5, Romans 16, in the context of patient endurance, another fruit of the Spirit. And then it says, blessed are they who die in the Lord from now on that their works may follow them. When I thought about, blessed are those who die in the Lord. Maybe they're dying to their own works and they're living by faith in Jesus. Fine, that's, uh, that's a great take. But wait a minute, I thought about this. The Advent movement didn't start in 1974, 94, 2004. It started way back in 1844, actually. First Advent was 1863. And since that time, all of my relatives are still living, right? Well, a lot of them dead. How many of you had anybody that you know that's an Adventist who's died? Some of you don't even know how to raise your hands. You're nearing the grave yourself. 
Okay, so everybody's had that. And it says that once they died, their works follow them. And then I thought, wait a minute. Is there something to that? Have Adventists actually been studied? And what happens with their health practices? Do their works follow them? Has there been research? Blessed are they that die in the Lord. Their works shall follow them. Health and longevity. By the way, for those who live the first angel's message, somewhat like 20 years longer, depending on the study. I've had seven years, some studies, 11 years, other studies, 14 years, other studies, even more than that for those who, you know, didn't come into the faith midstream. And so you have all kinds of additional years. I mean, right now I'm preaching here. Guess who's preaching for me at way, I mean, we more. I mean, we more. At woo. Weimar University. There's a guy preaching today for me there who's 100 years old. Can you say amen? John Scharferberg is preaching there. He was on campus the other day and he saw me. He goes, Don, he's running like this. I turn around. It's a 100-year-old man running after me and he caught up with me. And he's preaching today. That's the first angel's message lived out. And so Adventists are known for longevity. Second angel's message, Babylon has fallen, has fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. I could spend a lot of time. I don't have it. They follow unwise health practices of Babylon. You want to read about those? Daniel 5, verse 1 through 5. Drinking, immorality, essentially uh, no monogamy, no monotheism then played out in the context of worship. Now this, I, this got me the other day. I'm studying and I look up Ishtar because Ishtar is the Ishtar gate. It was the main gate in Babylon. And Ishtar was literally a breaker of rules or boundaries. This goddess or god, they didn't know which because uh, it was a transgender god who mutilated young boys and girls to change their genders. And it's talked about also in Ezekiel chapter 16 as wearing multicolored clothes and had a parade every June that went down the thoroughfare to the Ishtar Gate every June in multicolored clothes. What? And it got my attention that the Bible already knows about what progressives think is progressive. It's not necessarily progressive. It's regressive. I don't want to get up on that too much. Some of your eyes are popping. Come out of her, what? My people, don't share in her sins and receive her plagues. And those who live this lifestyle the second angel's lifestyle, 20 to 30, even more years than eternal death. Those who live the first angel's message lifestyle, 20 more years here in an eternal life. Those who live the second angel's lifestyle, 20 less years here in an eternal death. That's the picture that's given in the three angels' messages concerning health. How many of you are following me? 
So I set before you life and death, God says. Choose life. Choose option one. Those who choose have longer life here and eternal life to follow. Don't choose option two. Those who live the second angel's message, shorter life here and eternal death to follow. Can you see the stark contrast? How many can see that? And you are a part of an Advent movement that has lived this for over 170 years. You are someone who can talk about this with actual evidence. If you're on a plane, a train, a boat, or maybe you're just walking in Gatlinburg, you have this with you as a heritage. So let's look at this idea their work shall follow in the Adventist journey to hell. When Adventism started, of course, they believed Christ would return in 1844. Uh, they believed that was going to happen. Did he return? No. Our fondest hopes and expectations were blasted. Of so great a spirit of weeping came over us. I had never experienced before. It seemed that the loss of all earthly friends could have been no comparison. We wept and wept until the day dawned. This was a serious depression and anxiety. If anybody can understand coming out of depression and anxiety, it's the Advent movement. Amen? So it starts out that way. And then they went back and studied again. They had been socially distanced from all the churches. It's almost as if they had some kind of virus, and so they quarantined them away from their churches. And they went back to study with new eyes looking at the scriptures. Joseph Bates and Ellen White, he studied with Ellen White and James White. They thought Joseph was a little kind of kooky. But then they begin to listen and they begin to learn and they begin to understand. They visited the health institutions of the day. It essentially was the sanctuary doctrine that they learned like we saw last night. The cleansing of the sanctuary was the doctrine that got them thinking that maybe they also should be cleansed. And they begin to move from eating unclean foods. In Testimonies, Volume 5, Ellen White said it's okay to eat a pig. We have no burden. Pigs are good. And then she moved away from Mr. and Mrs. Piggy as she read the scriptures to clean animals and then finally focusing on plant-based sources and finally back to the Garden of Eden diet fruits, nuts, grains. Your body then is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Whatever you eat, whatever you drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Fear God and give him glory for the hour of his judgment has come. A judgment hour people that are living the first angel's message in accordance with the sanctuary message of hell. Now here's the Adventist trajectory. When we first started out, average age was about 37 years old. And notice how it went up, 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 up. And this is a result of the journey of Seventh-day Adventists specifically and then the wider culture. You go to any continent today, and some of you are on OCI. We got like the, the vice president of OCI here today. And there's many ministries under that um, umbrella that are representing health concerns whether it be light training schools or whatever. And this is almost part and parcel of Adventism. This is what people are, know us for around the world. And the major health food companies, 
and the major lifestyle centers are driven by Adventists as a culture of health that has actually changed the entire world. Can you say amen? The Western Reform Health Institute was the first one where you had Kellogg, who took over for a doctor who wasn't really cutting it. But people were afraid of Kellogg. He was 26 years old when he took over, and he was 98% mustache. 2% cash. He was poor. He was not known, and people were afraid of him. At that time, they said, beware of uh, young doctors and old barbers. He was a bowel surgeon, did over 80,000 bowel surgeries, losing very few cases at all because of his cleanliness and his ability, but then beginning to say, wait a minute, we need to work not only on the bowel surgery to get a fee per surgery, we need to help with exercise to keep things moving. We need to think moving outside, but also inside. We need some granose flakes. We need granola. We need soy meat. We need proctose. We need nut, nuttoline, nut burgers, lentil and chestnut soup, baked pignolias, coconut, cornbread, McKee's mock hamburgers, steak, vegetable cutlets, cream of almond soup, beet coffee, caramel coffee, all kinds of coffee, but different types than I saw in Gatlinburg yesterday. Wheat, oats, barley coffee. You understand that any store you go into now, at least in California, has a lot of these things. And they all started as a result of the health message God gave a people. And they are conversation part point, points for everybody in this room. How many times have I talked about Kellogg's cornflakes to people on the plains? You want to know how he frosted his flakes? Well, he got frosted about this. You know, we have great conversations. Light therapy. <laughs> I don't know. This lady looks like she should work for maybe the airlines. Um, hydrotherapy, not just one tank. Look at this. Hydrotherapy. And by the way, you used to think, well, that's not really that effective until COVID-19 hit. And then the same techniques that my great-grandfather, who was a contemporary of Ellen White, used, actually worked again during the Spanish flu and during this time. And by the way, my great-grandfather said he never lost a case. They prayed, and they had all these people, and they came out of it. And we saw the same techniques at our institution that brought people through COVID-19. And then here, a PowerPoint presentation by Dr. Kellogg. He's making some powerful points, and there's his... Blackboard behind him. Here is the patience of the saints. Here is that they keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. Their works will follow them. Blessed are those who die in the Lord. Yes, says the Spirit. The Spirit. Fill me now with the Spirit. Their works will follow them. Did the Holy Spirit descend on the Advent movement and reveal itself in a message of health? Here are the scientific studies, the mortality study, the Adventist Health Study 1 and 2, and religion and health study. What about the mortality study? When it first came out, there was a concurrent study going on in the U.S. government, and then it got everybody's attention. 
Death rates from all cancers were 60% lower for Adventist men, 76% lower for Adventist women. They said, what? We got to study these people. Lung cancer was 21% lower. Colorectal cancer was 62% lower. This is comparison with their study they were doing at that time. Breast cancer, 85% lower. Coronary heart disease was lower, especially for Adventist men. Can you see why they woke up? Something's, something's with you guys. You have something with you. <laughs> it's the spirit-ordained health message. Adventist Health Study 1, increased consumption of red and white meat was associated with an increase in colon cancer. Adventist Health Study 1, again, eating legumes was protected for colon cancer. Eating legumes and beans at least three times a week and brown rice at least once a week was linked to reduce risk of colon polyps by 33% and 40% receptively in this nutrition cancer journal. And the, and the Institutes of Health, the Cancer Institutes of Health, which is what funded many of these studies, high conception of cooked green vegetables and dried fruit gives greater protection. And then go nuts, eat nuts several times a week, reducing the risk of heart attack by up to 50%. Why? Because it lowers cholesterol. The omega-3 fats in the walnuts protect against irregular heart rhythms, they thought, rich in arginine, which has turned into no nitric oxide. Just say no by going nuts. Eating whole meal, whole meal bread instead of white bread reduced non-fatal heart attack by... 45%. And this is what? Good news. Something that makes someone joyful. Someone that makes someone smile. Someone that makes the heart sweet. Is it good news? Are you happy to be a Seventh-day Adventist? Are you a glad Venice? Are you a mad Venice? Are you a sad Venice? I am delighted about the message of health. Whoa, what a great benefit. Adventist Health said he won again, drinking five or more glasses of water a day may reduce heart disease by 50%. Maybe someone in the back can bring me some water to reduce my heart disease. Here I am dying out here, folks. No, it's okay. They're all right. <laughs> what about Tomatoes. Oh, thank you. Thank you for that. The doctor is in the house. Amen. The doctor's in the house. Mm. But I feel like I should reduce my heart attack risk right here in front of you. Okay, tomatoes, <laughs> high consumption of tomatoes, reduce the risk of prostate cancer. Thank you very much, sir. By 40%, but add some brown rice. Some, uh, I think it is, tofu, tomato and soy combination, reduce prostate cancer incidence by giving this the better result. Reducing the risk by 70%. These are the things coming out of the Adventist health studies. Five simple health behaviors promoted by Seventh-day Adventist Church for more than 100 years can increase your life by 10 years. Not smoking, eating a plant-based diet, 
eating nuts several times a week, regular exercise, maintenance, maintaining a normal body weight. By the way, let me mention something here. All the Adventists did this because they had studied scientific studies and said, I'm just going to change my habits based on the science and the science alone. What? Well, is someone saying false? Who is that? Hi. You look pretty confident. Well, what were they listening to? Okay, directly or anything else? All right. Through the Bible and the spirit of prophecy is how they made their decisions. Hallelujah. And they led science. Science did not lead them. Their works shall follow them. Adventist Health Study 2. Vegetarian dietary patterns on mortality and Adventist Health Study 2. I don't, I, I, I'm not going to go through all these, but how many of you are getting the point? Robust evidence. Happy density lipoproteins, high density. Triglycerides moderating glucose in the right area. Systolic, diastolic blood pressure, waist circumference, body mass index. All improved. Weight differences between vegetarians and non-vegetarians. Vegan, lacto-ovo, non-vegetarian, pesco, and eating anything that goes. These are all Adventists. Some of them are bad Venice. Some of them are glad Venice. Some of them are whatever. The ones that are getting back to the original diet. God loves them all, by the way. He gets back to the original diet. They, they are not quite as heavy, which means their blood pressure is probably better. Weight differences between these groups. What about blood pressure? Same thing. What about cholesterol in diet? Same thing. What about diabetes in diet? Same thing. These are blockbuster pieces of evidence that are directing the entire world and culture that came from people who said, fill me now with what you want to fill me with. Wait. Eating broccoli is an evidence of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Can be if it's God's Spirit-ordained Word that says, this is better for you than the other. The Pentateuch is a manual, a health manual that's up to date today. I teach about it for four months in my health classes. It amazes me as how accurate it's it is. It's not still is. And their works shall follow them. What about the Sabbath and health? I already gave you some evidence. And those robust studies that I went through, a strong connection, the thicker the line, the bigger the indication of robustness. This is a summary of all kinds of studies. Sabbath keeping improves physical health. It also improves mental health, but also so does religious support, which is why you don't watch on just TV. It's better to be right here with me and see and he and thee. Look at this. <laughs> An additional finding 
Individuals who engaged in secular activities on Sabbath had poor reported physical health. So really, doing the Sabbath, resting in the law of liberty, it's not a law of conscription or compulsion. Babylon makes all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. You will be immoral because the laws will now tell you you have to allow immorality and you have to allow us to even change your children from something binary to something different. You realize that's what's happening? And that's not love. It's not love. And someone needs to say something about it in love. To be silent is not to be loving. Think about it for a minute. Same-sex marriage. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. Honor thy father and thy mother. Visiting the iniquities of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation. Directly against those four commandments, what about this one? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God, and thou shalt not do any work thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant. In other words, a natural law argument, for in six days he made heaven and earth, going back to very foundation. And now we have a Supreme Court and others in this country and other countries that are saying, no, all five commandments were wrong. And you thought the test was over the Sabbath? It is, but it's that part of the commandment, not the part you were thinking about. Who would have thought the devil would lead with sex? Balaam would have thought that. Interesting. Is it interesting? Is there something to this message of health? Their works shall follow them. What about Adventist belief on the body and soul as being one? Many believe that the body and soul are separate. The body is temporary, but the soul lives forever. Adventists came to see the soul and body as connected. Dust plus breath, a living soul. Oh, I see my clock is done. What time is it? They're supposed to put up here. Ooh, it's lunchtime. I'm two minutes over. I'm two minutes over. Well, let me just finish up. We can finish up here. We don't have to finish everything. But let me just show you, finish this point. What are the implications of that belief? Obesity by religion. Baptists, 30% are obese. Church of Christ, Pentecostals, 22% obese. Methodist Christian Church, African Methodist Epistle, 19%. Catholics, 17%. Reformation area, 9%. Seventh-day Adventist, 3%. What did they say in the study done at Purdue University about this? We usually think of religion contrasting negative behaviors, but some denominations play great emphasis on separating the mind and soul from the body, which may lead to overeating. Wait a minute. The researchers are now saying the theology that separates those two is deadly. And they're agreeing with the Seventh-day Adventists, can you say amen, which are just agreeing with the Bible and their works shall follow them. Okay, can I just do one more? Or study this lady. Let's vote. How many things? I can do one more. I'm a, I'll end with this one, okay? You're okay with it? You all right? Okay, good. Two thumbs up, good. So Ellen White 
and health. We'll end with this one. I'm coming back there, guys, in a minute, so don't go anywhere. Um, they're looking at me. <laughs> T. Colin Campbell. Number one researcher in terms of grant money that was given to any researcher in the, in the history of research. Maybe that's grandiose, but a lot of money. When I talked to him the last time, he was telling me that it largely true what I just said. Wrote a book called The China Study, probably purchased by more Adventists than anyone else in the world. I interviewed him back at my church a few years ago. And as I interviewed him, I had sent him an appendix. I had done an appendectomy on a book called Proof Positive by <laughs> Dr. Nedley. I took out the back where he had all these Ellen White quotes. And I just took the Ellen White quotes and I sent it to him. Because I kind of already, well, I mean, I, I, I didn't have time to do all that research. He printed it out. It was 16 pages, he said. And he was looking at it in the car. And this is what he wrote back before we interviewed. I'm not aware of anyone who is more on point than Ellen White. Given her background, she's truly an amazing woman. I am convinced that almost 100% of her statements are now substantially supported by the scientific evidence that's been developed during the past two to three decades. What? How many can say amen to that? And people followed by faith in the testimony of Jesus, the spirit of prophecy. This is good news, folks. She had four health visions, tobacco, tea, coffee, harmful, long before the Food and Drug, Drug Administration was actually saying, smoke it to do away with your coughing. Or I don't know what they were saying. Cleanliness, appetite, and food. Comprehensive health vision of 1863. The Christmas sanitarium vision that basically the basis for Uchi, Pines, Wildwood, Weimar. All of us wouldn't have that without this. Amazing. Amazing. And then he says this. What I have come to realize, even deeply worry about, is why does this message is laid on shelves out of sight? Now I'm closing. In my own family, I'm a fourth generation Adventist pastor. My great grandfather was an evangelist to HMJ Richards, which was HMS Richards' dad. And my great-grandfather didn't like Ellen White, the health message especially. He was a cattle farmer that had come over from Wales and England. And he said, you know, she's nice, but I don't like that. The family split down the middle over Ellen White over that issue. So I have three generations, four generations on one side that believed, and I have four on the other side that didn't. And the ones who didn't believe died 30, anywhere from 25 to 35 years earlier than the other side. It's like a case study in my own life. But the amazing thing that happened was when they were dying, they would call up their brother, my grandfather, and they'd say, now what was it that I was supposed to eat? What was it? How is it that you're still walking around? My great uncle, one great is a, is a Harvard graduate, very smart guy, specifically, re, specifically rejected the message of Ellen White, said it was legalistic, not good news. And he and his wife ate red meat and drank wine. His wife died of breast cancer. He died of colon cancer. 
Behold, I set before you life and death. Therefore, choose life. Can you see the tie between the first angel's message and the third angel's message? Is it part of the loud cry? And it's not a threat. It's a cry. Why do you have to die from that so soon? We all die. We know that. But we can live longer and then have the hope even of eternal life that's given to us as evidence by the Creator. We're not saved by what we do. We're saved by what he does. But what he does in us is a powerful indicator. Can you see how Revelation 14 could be useful in your witness? How many can see that? There's no other church that has a chapter like that, that has the documented evidence with the chapter. You are that church. Is it good news? I got to end with this last day. Well, I won't just tell you. You know, William Tyndall, he said, the gospel, it means happiness and all that stuff. But then he said this, the gospel is the good news that makes a person dance for joy. I mean, want to dance for joy as we're leaving. I mean, want to dance right into line to have supper. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much today for the gospel of good news. So part of that first angel, second angel, and third angel's message. As we partake of our meal today, bless us, keep us, guide us. We thank you for what you've given to us and what you want to show through us, not for our glory, but for your glory. In Christ's name we pray, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.